The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Dark Age is freaking nuts. It is it's amazing. It's... And I'm excited again. Red Rising is sick. This is coming from me. Yeah. Dark Age is an amazing book. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Tudor Ramble episode. I'm your host, Austin. And I'm Richard. We are back with more Red Rising. Ah. You know, some of the comments have been saying that we're becoming just a basically a Red Rising and Stormlight channel. What's wrong with that? It's basically it. One's better than the other. But I will say, little spoiler alert. Oh, well, well not spoilers for the book. Not spoilers, spoilers for the book. For your spoilers for my opinion. On the book. I am happy about this episode and about this book. Brother, we are back. We're back. We're back. You will hear, you will hear very few disagreements with me. This will be mostly a gushing episode. Uh, Richard says that now and just wait. I'm going to point out every <laughs> disagreement he makes throughout this episode. It's going to be plenty. Plenty full of Richard uh, disagreements. It, it's hard to fight my nature. <laughs> <laughs> it's just who you are as a person. You just yeah. you can't do anything else about it. So this is book number five of Red Rising. We are almost up to date. Lightbringer will be next. We're going to mm-hmm. start reading it as soon as we're done with this episode. Yep. And boy, oh boy. Has it been a journey on this channel? Now, of course, we're going to give you spoiler-free for about 10 minutes. We'll let you know when spoilers are coming. Mm-hmm. But we reviewed Red Rising, Golden Sun, which I was I couldn't be happier in life. It was it was the most memorable portions of my life, including everything. That's that, pretty sad. That's, ever. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's real sad. I made the statement and went, do I really believe it? And as I said it, it I, yes, the, I, I do. And if you've gotten all three minutes into the episode by now, mm-hmm. go ahead and comment. Austin, touch grass down below. <laughs> <laughs> Our first disagreement. Look at that. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Our, the first, well, disagreement's different than you being mean to me, I guess. Oh, that's just... Yeah, that's not disagreement. That's just if, general friendship. If you could tell how happy Rich looks right now, it's not because of how much he likes the book. We haven't recorded an episode together in like three weeks because you've oh, been yeah. on vacation. I needed I to away. build. I need to build my... Austin battery up. Mm-hmm. And it was drained. We've seen each other too much. And I've had three weeks away from him. 
And that's been utter bliss. It, it was so much that you had your dad on an episode because you said, Austin, I think this is over for us. We're gonna, it was great. We're going to test the waters with old Pops Rich, who did a, a, an annoyingly good job. <laughs> just, I was watching him on the episode going, just slip up. Make a, just, make a mistake, you bastard. But no, of course, he was great. So yeah. articulate. I was watching him. I was editing the episode going, wow, this is really interesting. You know the nice thing worked? Uh, like planning it out with him mm -hmm. is he took your role in many ways. Like he actually did prepare yeah. and rewatch the stuff. He took some notes and he, he was prepared for what he thought. And he actually had things prepared. I prepare, I, I prepare and it doesn't look like I do is the difference between your dad and I. It's almost like he does it for a living. <laughs> right? Yeah. He's, he was so articulate. He got everything really keyed down and all the comments you were super nice to him yeah that was fantastic funniest one there were so many but one was like uh wow austin's this was austin's most insightful pod episode yet <laughs> loved it but okay on to this is dark age book number five of the red rising saga mm -hmm. and you gave a little taste of what you thought already a little taste and but yeah based on our last review of book four this is still spoiler free everybody don't worry up to up to book five it, yeah, that that's a clarification. Yeah. We will be spoiling things up to book four. Yes. So no Not. spoilers for Dark Age until we say spoiler warning. Yeah. But we reviewed Iron Gold, and we both... It was the first one we were both really disappointed with in Red Rising. Yeah. I'm, here's the thing. To be fair, for all the other books... I wasn't disappointed. I liked yeah. all the Red Rising books. Just not like, as much as... Just uh, not as much as you. Yeah. So Iron Gold's the only one that I actively disliked. Yeah. And that that's that was a rare rare one for me. But the comments let us know how wrong we were. And how wrong they think. So some made some really good points, but there, it can't really change. Just we didn't like some of the characters, weren't invested in them. Yeah. And there was a lot going into book five in Dark Age that we were just on a low, going like, "Hey, is this is this new saga? Is this continuation from the trilogy going to hold?" You understand? Up? Iron Gold killed my motivation to read Dark Age. Killed it. If 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 it wasn't for you, if it wasn't for this channel. I really would not have finished. Like, you would have, you would have not read Dark Age. I was so I was thinking to myself like, Ugh, I don't want to read this. This is it was a chore to try and get myself to start reading it. Mm. Once I did, I very much enjoyed it. It took me a few chapters to get into the groove, but, but once I did, there. I got there. But man, Iron Gold killed a lot of it for me. Listen. We're on to better things, though. We're on to better things. Because I... Greener pastures. I, Iron Gold was one because I love Pierce Brown. We saw him in person. Mm -hmm. I, Golden Sun's still my favorite book. Love it all so much that I want to like these books, of course. Yeah. I have a bias towards every book I read from him. I want to <laughs> just love and gush about it. And I can definitively say, all spoiler free, Dark Age is freaking nuts. It is it's pretty great. amazing. It's... And I'm excited again. Red Rising is sick. This is coming from me. Yeah. Dark Age is an amazing book. Oh! God. Okay, he's already unhappy. He's mode. already unhappy. He's on jumping mode. <laughs> that is what I love to hear. It's an amazing book. It, it's astonishing. It's, it's really great. It's damn. We're gonna run out of words again. We always do this. Just it's <laughs> it's flabbergasting. Dark Age is amazing in so many ways. It's so amazing that if you've watched our reviews up to this point on Red Rising, mm -hmm. someone's been missing in the last two reviews because I just wasn't feeling the last two books as much. You know? Yeah. Kyle, Derek. Kyle is back. Kyle is back. <laughs> Kyle, introduce yourself to those who may not know you. 
Hello, gentlemen. It's Kyle Derrick. Nice to see you again. And hello to all the Ramblers out there. Today, we're back with some more Red Rising. So let's get into it. So that is the voice of the Kyle Derrick, the voice oh, of God. The, the voice man. Of, oh, he, the man, the myth, the legend. I sent him some excerpts from Dark Age that he, I'm going to have him play these clips. I'm going to play these clips here and show you all these amazing phrases, these amazing paragraphs from the book. And it's going to be awesome. Wonderful. He has such an elegant voice. It's it's the voice of God. It really is, and I am so happy that I'm happy about Red Rising again. Now, mm-hmm. th- this series has always been great, but to go off of book four where we are much lower, Dark Age comes in so hot. Spoiler free. Can you break down for people where, to remind them where, where's Dark Age starting? What's a where okay. do we leave off from Iron Gold going into this book? We left off with the main main point of Darrow. Darrow has. He's killed the the Ash the Ash Lord, but it was kind of a trap, and they're going for the the Ash Lord's new armada led by his daughter. He's going after Republic. He has lost his son, and so things are things are haywire. But he has now decided that you know he's going on the war path. He's made it more an active decision, and he's chagrined his fatherly duties. Oh, chagrined! I like that. Yeah. yeah. And then you have Lysander. Lysander was toying between, you know, his loyalty to Cassius and his ideals on what the gold should be. And he's now made a choice. And he's going to stamp the golds and try to implement, you know, try to tear down the Republic and reestablish the society. Although he does admit the faults of the society, he wants to build it better. Fair enough. And then we had a bunch of other characters I didn't give two shits about. Okay. <laughs> so now, now here's where the bias comes in. <laughs> Just, I, I could care less uh, where they were and what happened. You know, it'd be that great. Book. Let's just complain about Aaron Gold again. Get everybody <laughs> pissed off. Just, just, just rehash it. Now, I have a question for you before we get into spoilers, yep. before we get into our rating and everything. Dark Age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's an important question on Iron Gold. Yes. Many comments were talking about how. Dark Age changed their perspective on Iron Gold and realized, oh, how necessary it was, and it made them think more fondly about the book. Mm-hmm. Do you want to increase your rating, or if not increase your rating, do you feel better about Iron Gold now that you've read Dark Age? Well, when we recorded Iron Gold, I had already read Dark Age. Oh, So really? if you remember, yeah, it didn't change my rating of Iron Gold, but the okay. better question would be for you, mm-hmm. because you read Iron Gold and hadn't read Dark Age that episode. Yeah. Do you think you're going to increase the rating of Iron Gold? No. No. Yeah, I had the same thoughts. It, it's. I'm actually caught in a very similar way to Wheel of Time. Mm. Is so, I can understand the setup book. I deeply understand a setup <laughs> book where, yeah, okay, look, it's not the best, but man, it lays the groundwork and the seeds for harvest later on. But even then, I gotta admit, it just was not fun to read. And so, same thing with the Wheel of Time books. Like, I, I'm, I think I rated um, Eye of the World, like, barely a six. So, like... Still your I'll, favorite series ever. Still my favorite series ever, but I can admit when things are like, mm-hmm. hey, look, the book didn't really land that well. It wasn't Listen, amazing. We, we are not going to rehash Iron Gold, okay? No. Listen, this, this I is, just, wanted to, these are I better just wanted to ask that question before we get into No, it's a good question to ask. Iron Gold, I still don't... Maybe on a reread, I will think mm-hmm. differently, but after reading this book, no. So yeah. I'm with you on that. Iron Gold, disappointed. Dark Age blew me away. Yeah. In so many ways. And let's get to this then. What mm-hmm. is your spoiler-free rating for Dark Age out of 10? Rambler rating. The official Rambler rating, the Richard Rambler rating out of go. 10, is an 
8.15 out of 10. That's a great score for you. That's I believe it's the highest score I have for Red Rising. Whoa. No, I think Golden Sun, you had 8.2, didn't you? Or 8.3 or something? Oh, shoot. I think Golden Sun Put, was a little higher for you. Okay. Yeah. Um, but hey. It's still, it's, it's up there. It's very, it's really close to Golden Sun. It depends how you wake up that morning. Which exactly. One you like I gave Dark Age a 9.1 out of 10. Excellent. Solid score. Solid, yeah. It's, it's a, I'm back to the nines with Red Rising. Dark Age, to still stay spoiler free for you all, to encapsulate what this book does. Mm-hmm. Because there's a, a lot happens. A ton happened, so it's, it was hard to break down. So I have these three main points here of like going in. If you haven't read Dark Age and you're thinking, oh, should I? Which mm-hmm. I, I doubt there's many of you that are up to this point who have read it. One, you have incredible battle sequences. You have the Ly- Lysander, Darrow, on Mercury. There's a lot of battles that go on. And mm-hmm. I'm saying this very broadly so there's no spoilers coming, but you have the a lot of battle sequences there. You have a lot of Game of Thrones level politicking with... Virginia, Dancer, and so forth with the Republic. And then you have the consequences of throwing down an evil empire showing throughout with the red hand that spurs up. And you have, there's a lot of obsidians, what happens with the obsidian cultures. But to break this book down into three things, it's one, battle-heavy, intense, and epic. Two, it's very Game of Thrones level dark politics and interesting politics. And three, three, there's a lot of consequences that shows to overthrowing evil empire. And the fourth thing I should show or should say about this, is that it be dark. It, it be. It be a dark, dark age, be dark. It be a dark age. It's it's not... I would I would say the most important improvement from Iron Gold, and the reason, if you're hesitant on reading Dark Age, my, and you've read Iron Gold, you're hesitant, the structure of the book fundamentally has changed. Like, Pierce Brown learned a lesson from Iron Gold, where... Every single PO, he felt that he gave every single POV the exact same amount of time. That there had to be Darrow chapter, then Lysander, then Lear. It, it was all split a very point. evenly. This one, it felt so much more coherent. You know, like what? when you needed more Darrow, yeah. you had multiple Darrow chapters in a row. When you needed more Lysander, there, like every character got the right amount of page time, and it was perfect Brilliant choice. Point. Uh, that, that was such an improvement. That's the biggest improvement overall. All part one was just with Darren Lysander for the most part. Yeah, perfect. And, and you know what's even more perfect? Hmm. We, it was 300 pages in until we got our first Lyria chapter. <laughs> was, I counted. I looked at it and I was like, oh, damn it. We finally got there. And you there. know what? By 300 pages, I was willing to have. Exactly. A I was willing to have one. He gave me dessert. I was ready for a boring meal. <laughs> <laughs> Thing is, Lyria actually did step it up a lot. Yeah, and so I'm, I'm just I saying really that. liked her perspective at this book. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get yeah. into all the characters. One last thing before we get into spoilers is... If you'd like to join our Patreon and Discord and talk books with us, go ahead, check that description below where you can join our Patreon for a little fee of $100 a month. <laughs> Imagine we raised He's the rate. joking, by the way. It's not 100 Now when they go and click it and see how cheap hey, it is. Hey, when we're Reese Witherspoon Oprah level, yeah. maybe, maybe that day. Who was Reese Witherspoon, the first person you thought of? She's incredibly successful. I, like, Oprah is like top billionaire. No, is, is she Reese, that successful? No, Reese Witherspoon is a billionaire. What? Off of of a book club. What? Her book club is the reason she's a billionaire. 
I stand corrected. Oh no, we, I, 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 I stand corrected. About, okay, I learned about her in business class. What? <laughs> she is impressive. All right, Reese, you got it, Reese. All right, I'm just I, saying. I, I'm, I apologize in advance. That's, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. Okay, so if you want to join that, feel free. But we are getting into spoiler territory now. You ready, Rich? I am ready. I, I could even say the two R's, like the ready, Rich. Are you ready, Rich? Erd. You uh, ready, Rich, to read Talk Red, Red Rising, Rising right now? <laughs> you ready for this? Yeah. Spoiler warning. If you have not read Dark Age, stop here and then come back after you've read it and join us. Okay? All right. Emotional impact. What'd you give it out of 10? I gave an 8.5. Great. Excellent score. I gave it a yep. 9. We're very close. Yep. Again, look, he's happy. He's jumping. He's happy. He's so happy. Now, I, I have a feeling you're going to be very happy with all my scores. You're yes. not going to... No. In all honesty, I understand yours a lot more. We're so close here. Yep. Not really complaints, but... Let's get into the meat and potatoes of why. Why did you emotionally connect with this one so much more, especially than Iron Gold? You hinted about it a little bit before of the consequences. It felt like this book actually had some stakes. Characters had meaningful decisions. Darrow was far more of an active character in this book than a passive one in the previous book. Very much kind of pulled by the winds and seemed very silly on some decisions. And so... It felt really dragged out where I knew where things were going. This one, not the same. So action was more fun. And the to, consequence- to, to point out that, to see where things going, surprisingly, I don't, again, I, I was saying this, I don't want to trash Iron Gold anymore, mm-hmm. um, but I, a lot of it was more predictable than Red Rising usually is. Where this one, yeah. you cannot say this was predictable with Dark Age. Not completely. There, there are some elements, s- yeah, like Daxo dying. Like you, you, his, yeah. Remember his last line is like, you know what? I can be a good father. And you're like, no, yeah. don't say that. You're going to die. Also, Orion. Orion's betrayal and all that. I saw that coming. A what? Like, they set it up. It was kind of like hit you over the head with it a little bit. I'm like, okay, fine. I, I think a book that is not predictable has predictable elements, though, which is what makes an unpredictable book. Is that it? Mm-hmm. So for the most part, there are really shocking scenes and twists and turns in this that make it so interesting. Not that it has to be, but it, when you have a good mix of you can expect some things but are taken mm-hmm. back by others, that's a great middle ground of, ooh, it yeah. gets you going. But sorry, continue. You, you were saying about why this bested Iron Gold. Oh, I mean, the action was far more fun, and there's a lot more of it. So what I've come to expect from a Red Rising book is I'm looking for a bit of the action. It's an action-heavy book. Mm. I should get some action. Not every book's an action book, but Red Rising is that series. So got a lot of great action from it. There's actual consequences. You see the results of things. Wonderful. Characters are making active decisions and not stupid decisions. I remember Iron Gold thinking, again, right back to it. It's, it's, it's in your nature. It's, I know, <laughs> but I'm thinking back to all like everything with the Republic was so stupid. Like, oh my God, are the I don't think I could say that word on YouTube. I'm not going to say that one. Self-censored. That w- Everyone is so stupid <laughs> in the Republic. Okay. And this one, it made far more sense. The stupid people are actually stupid. You have the smart people actually being smart. Loved it. This, so the emotional side of this book for me, mm-hmm. I, I, of course, okay. I'm done with Iron Gold. I'm not yeah. comparing it because as I was, th- this is the last thing I'm saying about Iron Gold is that we rated it so low, I was nervous that that would really affect my mm-hmm. reading of Dark Age. It did not. When I was emotionally pulled into this, it took, like like you did, a couple of chapters to get back into it. Yeah. 
But the entire, the, the way this book was structured, which we'll talk more in plot, but part one starts immediately with just Darrow and Lysander. And Pierce Brown said it best when we, we saw him in person and he was mm-hmm. giving a Q&A. And he said he had this scene, the scene just going, da, 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 Tuesday. All right, that that whole effect of having the back and forth between Lysander's point of view and Darrow's point of view and him being like, ah, we brushed off light resistance. Oh, that was great. That was just a... It was a Tuesday afternoon for Darrow. Yeah. It was fantastic. The emotional highs, I just want to point out some points of this book where I was just like, yes, this is a genius, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. In part one, the battle sequences back and forth in that Tuesday, I was yeah. like, oh, that's, that's, I love how that felt. The pacing, the action was brutal. How it was written was amazing. And I was in, I was in for the grittiness. And then part two, of course, the, the politicking in there, as you pointed out, way more interesting. And yeah. the consequences that Virginia was a lot more active, whereas last book, she kind of took a back oh, seat. Thank God. Yeah. She had some teeth. Yeah, she had teeth and she did, uh, um, Red Day of Red Doves, by the way, amazing, amazing twist as well. And you had that mm-hmm. Game of Thrones red wedding level boom. But with her being so active, she actually had some Darrow-esque moments. Like, for example, in part three, where I think this is genius. We'll talk about it more in plots, but Jackal, the clone of Jackal. Yeah. But her saying, screw that whole 10-year plan. I'm just going. I'm going to escape now. Things like that. And her having to make an active decision to not protect, get her friends out as well and save them. Yeah. She makes some really guttural gutsy decisions that have consequences as well. There's other emotional moments like Victor's baby, Ulysses dead. Yeah. Butchering the kid. Of course, this is a dark, dark book and I did not expect that. And, Mm -hmm. and part, part four where it left me off, I'm just going over like my favorite moments just emotionally wise part four. I I have not experienced this in a book so far uh, where a Helm's Deep moment, because I saw Lord of the Rings before I read the books. Mm-hmm. So I can't say that I read the books and was surprised that this happened. But we had a Helm's Deep, all is lost moment in this part four of the battle between Lysander and Darrow. I was like, how are they getting out of this? I, I, f- I felt the dread. I felt the all is lost. And I was just, I was going, Darrow, what are you doing? How do you, what, what? And then Cassius, of course, comes because it was referenced before by Kravax or Daxa, one of the two. Mm-hmm. But all these, all these emotional moments where you have the highs on the battling. The, the battles are gritty and well-written, and the conflict is there. The characters are making active decisions. And then on the flip side, the dialogue of the, the politicking is interesting. And you, you're seeing what's going on with the Republic. Dancer and his, his, the, the Vox Populi, Mustang, the Obsidians leaving. You have all these interesting elements of the politicking. And then you also have back to Mercury, the battle scenes. And then you also have the consequences with the Red Hand and the more world building. It just, this book has everything. Yeah. I, that's amazing. I will get, you mentioned Dancer. We'll get into characters a little bit yep. on that one. I, I do have like two main gripes. And I'm one, like, we'll get into those. And okay, it's, and characters, yeah. To be fair. They are nitpicks. Sure. But it'll be fun to talk about. That's what about. we're here for. But do uh, you want to get into characters? Right before characters, I want okay. to see emotionally. Um, because I, I love so much. It was hard to form formulate my thoughts for this episode because so much did happen. Mm-hmm. And I read it two months ago. So I had to do a lot of uh, a lot of like reminding myself these these scenes happened. What emotionally didn't connect with you as much? Because so I think so much oh, was great. Is there anything that prevents it from going any higher? Sure. I was not emotionally there for um the uh the jackal oh let's talk about that characters then okay the, yeah so i was i very much was like it's a surprise but it just wasn't as 
I don't think it landed the same that it really should have. Okay. And for me, it rubbed me a wrong way. Um, there's some stuff with Dancer. Didn't work for me. It made him Talk feel like a much worse too. character. Um, so Dancer and Jackal, we have to we have Other to than that, I think everything landed as it should have. Awesome. From even the ending, especially Cassius maybe sees Deus Ex Machina, but I don't think I don't think it was. I think it was handled pretty well. There, there are some Deus Ex Machina moments that bugged me. There was a Ooh, moment okay. where um, Darrow was basically on his knees by the Fear Knight. Fear Knight had him completely, like dead to rights. And then it just was really stretched out longer and longer and longer. So they tried to torture him and so forth. Yeah, yeah. and, then, and they're like, "Oh, that, that is that where you saved by the Morning Star?" Yeah, and I'm that. like, it was one too many for me. I was like, eh. I, I just didn't buy it. That was such a Deus Ex Machina moment for me. To be fair, I did ask didn't you the question, like nitpicking what you didn't like. But yeah, you did. I, I did. I did. You asked me the nitpicks yeah, yeah. of yeah. like what emotionally didn't yeah, land yeah, yeah. for me, and that was, didn't 100 percent land. Yeah. Okay. I, I want to also say this before we get into characters mm-hmm. the theme of this book like as the emotional pull as well is basically what other things do like star wars and other sci-fi uh, other other sci-fi books or movies or whatever is where the whole thing is lysander states this to darrow this is a fight between good and evil to lysander it's between chaos and order yeah that's the theme of this book it's the consequences of toppling a an empire is that now there's a complete gap and everyone's vying for power and there will be a lot of consequences that come. Now, is it worth it to shoot for good over evil or to shoot for maybe the the lesser of two the lesser of two evils, but for maybe better results? So it's, oh yeah, I mean like the thing is, even though Lysander is wrong, mm-hmm. he has a point. When you he, can understand him. Like when he looks at, and my thoughts on like how the Republic is really poorly managed. It's a it's not a great system of governments as, as it's going. And the fact that there's a lot of dead people like it, like, yeah, he's the, his point of yes, the oppression of the colors is wrong, but at the very least, it's not all of these dead. Like it's not millions and millions dead. The, he values that more where Darrow says, no, freedom is worth death. Like it is worth dying for freedom. And the question is how much? And yeah, Darrow's morally right, but effectually, Lysander has a point. It's basically in philosophy, it's the argument of a consequentialist mm-hmm. uh, versus like a uh, Immanuel Kant or someone who believes in their. Uh, is, do the ends justify the means? Well, thing is, Darrow has a great moment mm. in the uh, when he has to decide between sacrifice sacrificing um, the town. Where he has the choice between uh, yep, yep. wiping them out and base or saving them or saving his army. Mm-hmm. Like save his army or destroy the enemy. And he makes the choice to save his army. And that's important because like from Lysander's point of view, Darrow is just chaos where he's willing to do anything to win. Even like kill innocent people, all all these people that he's so ruthless that there's no line that Daryl won't cross. This book showed that that's not true. Turns there's out, a lot of lines that he'll cross, but at the end of the day, Darrow does value life over winning. Well, even more specifically, what Darrow seems to value is the life of the people on his side more. So when it comes, if it's the enemy, 
kind of all rules are off the table for the most part. But he'll save his army. He'll save the people that he thinks are on the good side. Yeah. But not go so far as that. We're already talking characters. What did you give characters out of 10 for your rating? I gave him another 8.5. I gave it 8.6. So we're right there. We're right there. We are right there. And this is actually my lowest category in the five. Wow. So They're why is this one low for, lower than the others for you? I love the characters. There, there's so mm-hmm. many to love. But with juggling so many, there's going to be some that I'm not as there with. The first person I will say, this is going to be a theme. Mm. I'm still not all there for like Lyria's character. <laughs> and her plot was more interesting. The things yeah. that happened were more interesting. But with Lyria, she almost gives me... I'm, I'm still not 100% convinced she's essential to the series. Uh, and yeah. I feel like in this one, the whole Fa thing with the the thing in her now, the yeah, is an interesting concept. We'll see where that goes. But I'm still not there. I'm just not totally on the side of like this was an essential character. To get I a point loved of view her from. POV because we got more Volca my and Victra character and Victra. Yeah, Victra rubs me the wrong way. She won me by the end, but like <laughs> man, she was frustrating to read. Um, <laughs> she's she's a bit hard to go like Jesus Victra. <laughs> For the love of Christ, are you really on the side of the Republic? Not really. She's she, on her own side. But that, that makes her a really fascinating character. I guess. Mm. But she's just frustrating. Where Volga, that precious little ball of sunshine, oh yeah, was the best. I loved more Volga chapters. Now, if I gave you the option, mm-hmm. your mother and your father are on a train track. Yeah. Or you could pull the lever and kill Volga. What do you do? My parents have a good life. <laughs> Volga deserves a chance. <laughs> just let Volga live. That's all. You really love Volga. Like you I love said, Volga. You said She's off the, the you said off the pod. Just you've mentioned her in passing. She's great. I'm just like I see Richard smiling every now and then. Like, what are you thinking of? And you're just like Volga, little ray of sunshine. <laughs> she, she's so kind to everybody. It's just great. She's wonderful. So I'm actually speaking of characters. Yeah, Ephraim. I liked him a lot more this this book. Yeah, me too. Significant improvement. So. I enjoyed his BOV. I liked his character a lot more, loved his journey, all that. More personality. Yeah. However, a little selfish, but when he died, I was very happy. Not because of his death, because immediately when that happened, the calculation in my head is <laughs> oh, things were properly set up for now that Ephraim's dead. Volga is going to be the next POV character in the book. Like, in the next book, I guarantee... I haven't read the book. I have no idea. But 100%, Volga is the new POV in replace of Ephraim. I know it to be true in my heart of hearts, and I'm happy. This is so demented. <laughs> that, that was... A little cheer happened when he died. I was like, yes. He has, like, the sad hero sacrifice in the end. And yeah. he's like... Get him. <laughs> go bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so oh. that made me happy. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so with, with characters then, let's be as you asked me earlier what lowered it a little bit and why is it mm-hmm. like nine out of ten? So Lyria. And also the the other thing, again, we're looking at we're comparing this to ten in perfection. A lot of the I call them name pies, where there was like the Atlas, Ajax, Alexander. The Kalendor is like a lot of those kind of side characters who are there to create a more expansive world. There's a lot of those characters that are named there that I can, can't go in like, oh, wait, who's that again? And I'm like connecting. Can I connect with them super? Like, do I understand them? Mm-hmm. Which one is probably a fault of mine that I'm maybe I wasn't the most 
uh, what keen reader and I need to reread it. Hmm. To, so maybe on reread, I'll go like, oh, that of course, that's what Atlas would say. That's what Alexander would say. But sometimes those mixed up. And a lot of the obsidians, I'd say, I wasn't as interested in like Xenophon and uh, yeah. the, the other names. Ceph- Cephi and Ceph- all. Yeah, all those obsidians, the polit- which we'll get into plot more, the politicking and whatnot. But those characters didn't really pull me. And yeah, there was a lot of them. I mean, they were massacred and I didn't particularly care that much that was that's the one that was like i'm seeing a pattern here when when the good when the good characters die like yeah it just (laughs) brings you glee (laughs) well it's just yeah you're right i wasn't emotionally connected with most of those characters so that's kind of why again we gave it like the same rating that why do we why do we gravitate towards the negative okay we're we're also going on characters i want to say dancer is actually a bad character oh like not a bad, badly written character, particularly. What do you mean? I think the character's actually bad. But evil. Yeah. Like, okay. actually very selfish. Okay. So, his whole position is, hey, we don't want more war. We want to have concessions. We need to save red lives. His whole thing is he doesn't think continuing the war path is worth it in the end. So, that's why he opposes Virginia. It's his whole thing. And he's aware of all the facts of, like, hey, the asteroid's coming, there are bees coming, like all this stuff. He's aware of all this, but that's his reason for opposing, supporting Virginia. Then Virginia comes up with the information. She says, hey, look, you were actually sleeping with the guy from the Red Hand. This is what they want to do. So this is that this was all their plan. And he's angry that he was manipulated this way or like they were trying to manipulate him. And he's like, OK, now I'm going to support Virginia because, you know, we got to get uh, we got to take down the Ash Lord, all this stuff. What changed? Why did he change his mind? Nothing changed on the, like all of his actual reasons of protecting red lives. That hasn't changed. Virginia didn't come to him with a new plan that would actually save reds in the long run, or even something like, Hey, look, there's this secret plan that will basically wipe us all out. We have to act. Nothing changed. The only thing that did change is he was threatened. Personal sex. He was actually manipulated, and he was angry at that. And so that's why he's going to decide to change and go to war and betray all the Reds that were behind him that didn't want to go to war. Mm. Now, his reason for changing his mind makes him a very... Like, he, sel- he sounds all self, self-righteous, self right. and ultimately he's a very selfish character. So you saying that, though, doesn't make him a poorly written character. You're saying that it's a character flaw slash he's not as good of a person as he thinks he is, which yep. makes him interesting to you, would you say? Not particularly, because really? I think the book was trying to portray him as good. Good. And that's where the disconnect came. I, I don't think that was particularly acknowledged. I oh. thought it was more of like, oh, we've won Dancer onto our side, and there's supposed to be, that's supposed to be kind of a victory, and I just saw it as like, Oh, dancer sucks, and no one really acknowledged that. Hmm. You, you know, I here's what I will agree with you. So then the whole dancer thing, I never gave that much thought. That's interesting, mm-hmm. and I'll I, let me think that over more. Well, think about yeah. like what were what were his reasons for opposing Virginia? Yeah. And the thing and is, his the his reasons for opposing her that situation did not change. Yeah, the, the thing is, I wish I could talk about it more, just because it's I I I can't remember the specifics, but you're I assume you're right. Yeah, I mean, they proved that. Oh hey, the the red hand's actually basically controlled by the Ash Lord, 
and they mm-hmm. were going to blackmail you. Mm. Were. And like they manipulated you and the person you were in love with actually was working for them. And they would want you to... They basically want this vote so that we don't go to war. Right. Assuming I'm not missing any information here, I think you're right then. But I, I guess I was still interested in Dancer as a character. But I see your point here, and here's where I will agree. Hmm. Um, Pierce Brown in the past, and Golden Sun's like my favorite book, right? But mm-hmm. then in Morningstar, one of my, one of my nitpicks about Morningstar was that Tactus was seen as a redeemable character. Mm-hmm. Where you know the the message that Pierce Brown was trying to say with Tactus was that he is redeemable, and Darrow made a mistake by you know it was an, an unfortunate thing that Tactus died. Where the yeah. way I read both Red Rising then Golden Sun went, no Tactus should go. Yeah. Tried to rape, then takes Lysander, who was their prisoner, basically assigning all of the Darrow and everybody he loves on the ship to die intentionally. Tactus did that, mm-hmm. and then after doing all these things has a mo- last moment at the end where he, his life is threatened and has this moment of realization of, you know, Tactus comes out and is like, I, I'm, I'm good now. Thank you. Thank you, Darrow, and this. And where that, you know, that split-second decision of where his life is threatened and he kind of has to capitulate didn't seem like a redeemable quality to me for him trying to rape somebody and then threatening all the... So, for, so Pierce Brown, I think, was trying to write Tactus as redeemable but wasn't to me in Morningstar. Mm-hmm. So same way as maybe in Darrow it came across that way for you where, or sorry, not Daryl dancer yeah. dancer for you where dancer was written in a way to where he's supposed to seem like the good guy. But to you, you thought he was a more selfish character than he was trying to be portrayed. As. I, I do think it's a flaw on the writing of what, Got what it. he intended. I, I could be wrong. Yeah. yeah. Maybe Pierce Brown did intend it this way. That's how you read it. Uh, maybe I'm mistaken from it, but if I have my facts straight on it, Dancer didn't have a very honorable reason why to change his mind. Mm, okay. He had a very, very selfish reason to change his mind. Got it. Got it. Now, I never looked at... Uh, here's, a, here's an interesting thing with Dancer, then. Hmm. Why, assuming you're correct on all that, because I, I think you're correct in, in, the, in the line of storytelling there. The reason I guess I wasn't as frustrated by it, or maybe frustrated is the wrong word, but the reason it didn't hit me like that is because I wasn't really on Dancer's side to begin with of him not wanting to go to war in the last book. It's kind of stupid. I was already kind of going like, Dancer, I get your point. I understand your point. But you're all going to die. It's like, it's either war or death at a certain point. And so I was already going like, Dancer's just got to realize that they're not going to stop. Yeah. So I was, I wasn't on the side already. So when he switched sides, whatever his reasons were, I was like, all right, finally he's on board, you know? So that's kind of my reaction. But instead of going on Dancer, because there's so many characters to cover, are you happy with Dancer coverage? I'm happy with Dancer coverage. Okay, so there, there's a lot to cover, and the next person we should tackle, because we, you mentioned earlier, is Jackal. Jackal clone. Yes. By the way, we gave this very high in characters. I love so many of them, but it yeah. seems like you're going to get negative again with Jackal. So let's, let's hear it. <sighs> thing is, there's some good stuff there's, with it. There's, there's some good <laughs> stuff. Right, I wait, wait, like, but, I, there's some elements of it I really enjoy. I love how they didn't just bring the Jackal back. It's a child clone, and there's clearly some flaws. Yeah. And the twisting of his uh, follower, basically, mother, who's like that weird incestuous thing. Oh, gross. With with Lilith, right? Gross and weird. But it was at least interesting with like, okay, he is different. It's not just the jackal's back. By the way, this is him talking about Lilith, the person who carried him in his womb, or in her womb. I don't even know if you can call her mother. I guess you can, right? It's a tech. Technically hey, mother, yes. The, the one who bore him. The one who bore him, right? <laughs> mother. This is his line about her. 
On the day she took me to see the cows die, I had a thought. I asked Lilith to build me an iron cow. She built me the iron wolf instead, as I knew she would. One day soon, I will melt her inside it. So that's that's Jackal, 10-year-old sadistic Jackal's line about Lilith. And there's plenty more where that came from in, in that dialogue. But, so you loved a lot about him. What didn't you like so much? Honestly, just the fact that he's back. Oh. It, 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 it stunk. Like, it just... Oh. It stunk of the... Not stunk as in te- op, absolutely terrible, but it just gave me the thought of in Star Wars where like somehow Palpatine, Palpatine has returned and I'm like don't that's you it, dare compare it to that that's what it reminded don't me of you I'm like dare. somehow the jackal has returned and no. I'm like uh. don't you dare <laughs> <laughs> you now, gotta admit that crossed your mind when you're reading that is like mm. you know why it didn't as much is t- two reasons I think one is some so a friend that also loves Red Rising pointed this out to me. Um, Connor, actually. Connor, who we met at uh, Pier- yeah. saw met in person at the Pierce Brown event. Mm-hmm. In, uh, in Morningstar, I believe it was, where Jackal was telling Lilith, if you go back to Morningstar and read, Jackal was telling Lilith um, that they had like a plan B, a backup plan, which we thought mm. the backup plan was the nukes. Remember, like back then, we thought it was him nuking everything was the backup plan. But the real backup plan that was mentioned was the whole clone thing with Lilith. So yeah. it was foreshadowed in Morningstar, which uh, I think that's awesome. But Well, also but, properly set up with yeah. the fox. Yes. And so how yeah. the, the foxes make clones. And the additional thing of it being a 10-year gap where it's Palpatine just, just returned. But the fact that the Jackal's 10 years old and we had a 10-year time skip from the first trilogy to this, you know it's not possible again. It's not like a trick that can be used twice and like everybody's doing it. It was a meticulously planned thing where the Jackal, who it's also in the realm of possibility he would have this plan because the Jackal has that, um, that mind that we've learned from the first trilogy that when, no matter what the cost is, think of every possible thing that could go wrong, and this is something the Jackal would plan to do. It's not out of character for him to go, mm-hmm. if they do best me here, I want you, I'm going to inseminate inside of you. I'm, you're going to bear me for nine months, and I'm going to come back <laughs> better than ever. Be- well, more evil than ever, I should say. And what <laughs> impressed me even more, why I love this, and I know this is a bit controversial in the Red Rising community, where some oh, people okay. some people love that the Jackal's back. Some people are more like, ah, Palpatine, you know, like you. So I, I'm in I, the middle. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty in the middle. Yeah. I don't hate it, no. but I also just don't love it. That's why when it happened, it's not. It didn't land for me as I think it should have. That's why my emotions was I was mixed emotionally on it. You know what made me it, what made me more excited is that what was missing again. Sorry from Iron Gold was like a good <laughs> villain. Yeah, Iron Gold just didn't have a villain that got me. Yeah, and then in this were Lysanders now that antagonist slash villain. But we got but Atlantia. We, we got Atlantia, who I think is a much better villain. I liked how I liked and, her stuff in Dark Age. We can get into her absolutely. a little bit later. But Jackal specifically, how not only what it wasn't a copycat, as you said, from the previous trilogy, where it's a it's still the Jackal, but different enough to where there's something new and interesting there. Where his I, I and it's a central plot moment for me because how he acted in the previous trilogy, like where he wanted to impress his father, he now has that relationship with Mustang, with Virginia, where he now ended with his father's death, will end up, will end with Virginia's death. And then the fact that Lilith was toying with his memories of removing some things 
for some mysterious reasons, but removing something so that he would... I don't, I don't even think it was mysterious. The Jackal knew that... Well, like, knew that she did, yeah. Well, the, no, the, the original Jackal at least had this... Was smart enough to understand that his failings and his flaws and his, his failures shaped who he is. Mm-hmm. He understands that perfectly well of, hey, all those, th- all those times that I lost were incredibly important to developing who I am. And that he wanted that to be passed on. And, but his, uh, what, what was her name? Lilith. Lilith. She, she puts him on such a pedestal that she thinks telling him that he has flaws, she doesn't think he has flaws. Right. And so she right. deliberately yes. edited the thing of, you're perfect. Oh, I'm, you're perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're totally right. You're totally right. Yeah. Has failed to give him necessary failings for him to develop properly and ultimately made him less smart and way more unstable, just not actually as good as the original. Like actually heart, like the reason why they they will be able to beat him is because of Lilith. Cause Lilith actually failed to make the real Jackal made a very imperfect copy. That's you're exactly right with that. And what, adds to the intrigue even more for me with him is that Mm -hmm. Virginia in previous books has always mentioned how, as a kid, how insane he was. As a kid, how demented, and you could see the signs of what led him, even playing the simple puzzle Mm -hmm. games with him. And now we get to see that jackal in the flesh, a different version, of course, but I'm so in to see where this goes. Mm. I'm invested. So that's probably enough jackal talk. Sure. There's plenty of characters we should probably go off. Like Daryl, what do you think of Daryl? This book, I mean, he's the main character. Uh, I liked him a lot more. Yeah, he, he had some. The main thing is he had decisions and consequences throughout the whole book. I, I loved all of his stuff with Orion, and it was such a hard decision for him to actually, basically take that take out Orion, and it was kind of cold and quick. Mm. I really liked that. Uh, his moment with. Saving his army over defeating the enemy. Great. Um, Love. Uh, uh, most of all those moments were great for me. I, I've just really Fantastic. enjoyed him being smart, capable, but still flawed, making some hard decisions. It's what I wanted. And something that I probably should have said earlier, mm-hmm. and this goes with Darrow's character. There are moments in books where, you know, you have the, you, you have the last stand in your, you're, you're defending your castle, your Helm's Deep, your last stand. You have your last stand for the city. Save the city. Last stand, mm-hmm. save your country. Last stand for a whole goddamn planet <laughs> is insane. And Daryl, the decisions he has to make to save army or do this, or how, how do you get out of this at all? Mm-hmm. The line, the paragraph that got me, which I'll read off right now, got me to completely understand Darrow in this book and where his mind was. Okay, th- this this tells you Daryl's character in this entire book, right? This was where Harness, Harness whatever his name was, Harness, asked Darrow at, this is the end where the, all, the last stand's happening and we're we, about, to, it, about to go. It's over. And he asks, why keep going to Darrow? Why keep going? Because this is, you know, he, he said, Harness says he saw Daryl lost hope in the Republic one step at a time over the last 10 years. Why do you keep going, Daryl? And Daryl responds saying, I had this picture in my head where I would wake up beside Virginia. I'd let her sleep and rise to make coffee, breakfast. And when they woke, my wife and son would find me reading at the kitchen table or maybe make something out back. That's it, Harness says. That's it. He bellowed a laugh. 
the fact that Darrow's been through so many phases of he doesn't know why he keeps going and is fighting for, of, you know, at first it's for the Republic, you know, it's for all this, it's for, mm -hmm. and then it's for the, the steps down it took Darrow to finally find something he could clutch onto to show why he keeps fighting. He's down to basically eh, just to have breakfast with my wife and kid. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm thing. holding on to now. Yeah. And it, it just shows you the level of, uh, of loss of faith and hope he's had in the whole system at this point because he's seen what's happened the past 10 years. Yeah. He's seen like, hey, I, I think there's a part of Darrow that also thinks like, <laughs> Lysander has a point. I mean, he's not right. Lysander isn't right. It's important to say that. But he sees why all this years of bloody war and so forth. And what is the end to all of this? Is this just life now? Mm -hmm. And so he and had also to the, find... the failure of governance with the Republic. Right. Clearly, the Republic is significantly flawed and needs a solution. The solution isn't the Society 2.0. Lysander doesn't have the solution. But Lysander does have some points of he... And talk, talk Lysander, point, yeah. Yeah, he correctly points out the flaws of the Republic. And he also points out that his ideals of how gold should act is good. He, like, that, that's a good thing of, hey, golds have all this... They need to uh, be honorable. They should... They shouldn't abuse their power. That's all great ideals. He Lovely. thinks that gold should be the shepherds. Yeah. Not the well, and here's wolf, Yeah. And in this world where it's... Like, I was actually thinking a lot about how the Republic and the society works. Of Even in the Republic where technically all things are equal... The golds just have an advantage. Like, they genetically have this... Like, if you put them on an equal playing field... They're gonna rise to the top. What do you That's call just how it is? And like, yeah. there's there's a fundamental flaw of unless you wipe all the golds out, like they're gonna rise to the top of society in a bunch of different fields. You have to fundamentally have a different mental shift with the golds. They do have to be. You have to change their culture to be more benevolent, to be kind, to uh, be honorable, or wipe them out. There's no in between. Like, there's not. There, it isn't an equal playing field. So, do you even so do you even call it what Lysander is it? Is it racism or speciesism? Because are they even like are, are the different colors? They're all humans. They're all humans. But they're but all they are they're fundamentally all, different. They're like, they're, it's like I think it's more like comparing a Homo sapien to a, a Homo neanderthalus or a Homo erectus. It's like different forms of the human subspecies yeah. because it's not like you're just, you know, you have different melanin or you have different, well, like, so, well, he, there was something that was good. Uh, that was really good about, um, Romulus and all this. Mm -hmm. The fact that they, yeah, golds were in charge and they had basically red slaves and all this, but when they implemented laws, like with their food ration, I think it's mostly an example, yeah. but it would be better to extrapolate further from that is at the very least, the golds followed the same rationing rules, meaning the laws applied equally to both reds and golds in this circumstance. It would be good to expand that a little further. Mm. <laughs> you need to do that. But this society would have to be operated differently than our own because there's fundamentally there's not a... Uh, but like in the in the real world, there aren't like advantages or disadvantages. Yeah, that like and, I, whereas well, of like being born of a like any race, right? So yeah. whereas with Red Rising, if you are a red or if you are a gold, like 
you have well that innate, that's the whole yeah. thing with like racists that live today in our world yeah you, you go you ask you ask one of the neo nazis and all that and they'll say that oh yeah black people are genetically inferior and all the blah 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 reasons and they're wrong the reason why like their racism is wrong it's not just like morally wrong but like they're factually incorrect about where, this where's lysander where looks lysander at this. is yeah. morally wrong but on the fact that the golds are genetically superior to reds and all these other colors he's factually correct and about he, that. Here, here's a line of what he says to this so what you could see lysander of why he gets this mindset right mm-hmm. this is this is a paragraph when he's coming down in the iron rain i believe or so mm-hmm. forth to mercury and he looks and he says there is enough there is time enough to be lost in the majesty majesty of mercury that is mm-hmm. and to remember nature did not provide this with her careless hands my race of mortals carved this paradise from irradiated rock and violent gas by channeling the greatest virtues of all men in common cause. And it's that mise in italic. So when he's looking at all this grandeur and so forth, he's thinking like, the golds, we did this. And it's like, not true. It's the reds. Right? <laughs> yeah, like, you threw enough pain, death, and suffering at a problem, and look at that. Look <laughs> who came out around. So, yeah. So, Lysander, and think about this as well. This makes him, I think, a great antagonist villain to this, mm-hmm. where you see his point of view and you see like it, he he was 10 years old when this all happened and now he's 20 mm-hmm. so he grew up in this world of war he watches what the lower colors are doing to society mm-hmm. and he's seeing that no they they need us to shepherd them yeah we are essential we must create order in order to do all this so all of it makes sense why he thinks this which is that when you can understand yeah the antagonist's point of view that makes a compelling point of view completely agree so yeah, when you look at that that i love that scene and all those little moments of yeah. especially from the previous book where you get little bits of lysander it is not particularly cruel he does care about other people clearly he has the the blue that is basically like almost like a mother figure to him i i'm trying to remember her name oh. um but anyway he does care about other colors. It's not like he's a heartless, cruel person, but he cares about gold more. And he definitely does put gold's, the whole, like, first among equals thing, or whatever from, uh, whatever from from Animal animal Farm or something. Yeah, that's his big flaw. He still is racist and sees gold's as morally above the others. Where... If he just clung to the fact of, hey, golds are genetically superior and therefore have a responsibility, fair enough. It's it's that moment of, my people have built this in grand majesty, and it's like, mm, your people did like your people did a lot, but they also through pain, death, and suffering, and the oppression of others to do it. So get off your high horse a little bit. <laughs> And this is what's so interesting to me is when we read Lightbringer and Red God mm-hmm. when that comes out, where the hell is this story going? Yeah. Where where does Lysander end? Where does Darrow end? And Lysander as well, where his character I think is going to be even more compelling, go for it, especially where he ended up, where that incredible ending with Atlantia and the messed up and how he figured out how Octavia killed his mother and all the bombshells that have happened. Mm-hmm. This book, we're watching Lysander, quote unquote, like grow up. 
in a way because he was with Cassius for those years. Um, he, well, he is, oh yeah, he it, is seeing he is seeing war and everything for the first time. Where I, I want to play this first clip from Kyle. Wonderful. Uh, it's a it's a shorter one. Then we'll play more of them later on. But mm-hmm. this is where Lysanders in the Iron Rain. Right, mm-hmm. it happens. He goes down. He just landed two hours ago, and this is him experiencing actual war for the first time. Here mm-hmm. you go, Kyle. It is two hours since breach, and I do not feel sane. My life has disintegrated into a series of fragmented moments of extreme fear and unreal violence. It is defined by new sensations. The crunching of ice under clawed titanium foot, the slip of snow, the scrape of rock, the whistling of air, the tangy chlorine smell of ozone from my railgun, the ever-present tension that a benign ridge will suddenly come alive with anti-aircraft fire. I no longer trust stillness. Stillness is the enemy taking careful aim. So just to show you Lysander's <laughs> point of view there, like this is the first time he's experiencing war, and I love that line of "I don't even trust stillness anymore." Stillness is the enemy. Yeah, taking careful aim. Oh, that's a great banger line. Mm-hmm. And Lysander, this whole book now is you're, you're seeing him and his whole mind's eye thing as well of him. That's inner, cool to see. And how he learned that through Octavia, just really fascinating. He, it is really fun to see his beliefs really challenged i think we will see this in the next book i hope to see it is he has all of these ideals and dreams about what golds uh are and what they could be and should be and all this stuff but you you get moments in dark age where he sees the the fields of uh you know you know where they're putting uh red soldiers on pikes and suffering all that where he's looking at going like oh (laughs) like that's a He's shown in the face of what golds do to others. And even he's Ooh. disgusted with it and go but, but then- at the same time, but with the Reds at one time, like he tries to be nice to the Reds, like he runs into or something. Yeah. And, and they try to attack him. Yeah. And he I think the line of dialogue in the book is he just goes, I won't make that mistake again. Just like oh. So at the same time, the the like, gold- the fact that he doesn't get it. That, yeah. That's a that's a frustrating part of like it's why he's the antagonist is that he didn't get that lesson. Mm. Like that should be a lesson moment of that is how much they hate you. Realize why Right. they have a reason to keep it. Like they are on death's door and instead of accepting help from you, they want to just kill you. Do you really think that you can be the shep, the kind shepherd to these people? If they think this no. of you. <laughs> They're, and they have a right to. They, Which is why Darrow takes that point of view of my enemy is literally evil. Yeah. And why he saves his army and goes, no, they die. They. So he has this more bullheadedness, why he's also more easy to root for as well, even sure. though that he makes some very, very... Morally compromising th- decisions. Very, yeah. So <laughs> he's not all good as well. Yeah. But you're obviously rooting for him. Sure. So... Okay, well, besides Daryl Lysander, before we move right on the plot, and there's there's so many characters. God, Publius, Victra, Virginia. I love what Virginia did this book. Yep. You do as well, where she had to make a compelling decisions. She was active. She was mm-hmm. active in trying to save save Daryl, trying to get... Uh, they, she got supplies to him, then trying to get send the army over. Also made sense why they couldn't, because then it leaves them completely defenseless if they're sending anyone to save Darrow. So the other side made sense. Virginia making the decision of escaping from the Jackal and not saving... Very compelling. Do you have anything else you want to add? That was all good. Yeah, uh, all great for me. There, there's several. There's um, several 
took more of a backseat, didn't have anything extraordinary in this book. He's kind of like more of your... He, uh, he very much... I don't think I could ever have a Severo-centered book. He very much is second fiddle. You know... In his life, in the story, yeah. he is, and he's good at being second fiddle. But it would not be good to have him as a... Like a Remember big what Pierce Brown field. said? I think he said in Lightbringer, it initially started with like a Severo, several chapters from Severo. Mm-hmm. I don't think it does anymore, um, but he, oh, did, okay. he did say it did. So I think he deleted that, though. So there, ah. there are deleted several chapters somewhere. So Severo's interesting thing with Darrow, and coming off of Iron Gold and going to this book, was this is a line that Severo says, or that is said, I forget who says it, but Darrow tries to separate war from his kid, mm-hmm. uh, whereas Severo learned from his father, Fitchner, not to do that, and that's why their kids treat them differently. So Severo kind of had a different upbringing than Darrow did, so that's kind of how they treat their kids differently, where Darrow tries to keep a distance, and Severo just knows that it's impossible. So they, they treat their families differently, and Severo's whole point of view now is Darrow's second to Victor in my family, of course. Yeah. So there's Lilith, there's, uh, there's a bunch of side characters that we probably can't get into. We're already talking years off. You want to get into plot, or do you want to mention any other characters? Ragnar's father, the the the, God. the one with bold text. Oh, we completely forgot about uh, him. You have you have Pax and Electra, the kids. Yeah, you have Serafina. You have Rona, Kalandora, Ajax. I like I like basically Knight. all of them. They were great. Yeah. The Fear Knight. I loved his perspective on it. It was good. Like, oh, can I say I really liked Orion? Yeah, yeah, I did too. Not, not like what she did. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Really? I got I got some hero. I, I saw a couple comments in the the previous. Uh, uh, video on Red Riser where they're like a little nervous Richard likes Lysander this much. I'm like it's an interesting character. I don't agree. I with like it. Lysander at all. Like <laughs> okay, like doesn't mean support. Okay. Yeah, there's a difference. <laughs> yeah, I get what you're saying. Let's <laughs> He's interesting character to read. <laughs> it's like following Homelander and the boys. Yeah. Like fast Heath Ledger's Joker. Yeah. Love Heath Ledger. Hannibal Joker. Lecter. Uh, yeah, exactly. Anton from uh, um, a few good men. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, no country for old. No men. country for old. Oh men. God! <laughs> <laughs> Just combine again. Yeah. So uh, a lot of fascinating characters. Orion. What I loved is uh, you know one thing that would have been interesting. Mm. My only thing on Darrow is the Pierce Brown obviously didn't want to do this with Darrow, make him go dark, dark. Like can't even root for Darrow, but he put the pressure off of him and more onto Orion of killing the millions. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, you saw, it was like, all right, let me make Darrow still rootable and put this, put the genocide or put the absolute slaughter on Orion rather than Darrow, which yeah. would have been interesting if Darrow made that decision, but it would have been a fundamentally different feel. So do you want to go on to plot? Yeah, let's go on. What did you rate plot out of 10? 8.25. So great. Yeah, great. There were tiny moments for me, yeah. but in all, in the grand scope of the story, they are tiny moments. Awesome. Pick moments oh, for me. A Red Rising book we agree on. It's I just, know. I'm having a time. I gave it a 9 out of 10. Excellent. Fair enough. And I mentioned earlier, but a lot of the absolute love moments was the pace, the pacing in part one especially. The yeah. back and forth, back and forth. You get that Tuesday moment. The politicking, the jackal returning, the all is lost moments, the ending with Lysander. There's so many components to this book that we already brushed up on. Mm-hmm. And it's interwoven as you said at the very beginning, and I'll explain that more because the, the structure is fundamentally different and it's so much better for it. Oh, 100%. It, this is something that uh, even 
Brent Sanderson, I think, fundamentally fixed going from book three to book four in Stormlight Archive. And people may have their own issues with they don't like book four as much. I don't think it's as loved as the other books. For me, the biggest improvement, though, was pacing Mm. of for some reason. I don't know why, but it's kind of a standard in a fantasy storytelling and at least modern fantasy. If you have multi multi POV story, you kind of have like it's equally weighted where each POV gets an equal amount of time. And it's like, you know, from one POV, the next chapter is different POV. The next chapter is different one. And I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like the structure. Often it's handled poorly because the characters don't need equal amount of page time. This book was perfect in that. The characters that got the most page time needed the most, and the characters that needed least got the least. And sometimes if a character needed two, three chapters back-to-back, they got two, three chapters back-to-back, and it felt right. I never had a moment of where we're going to a different character, and I went, oh, man, why'd you stop now? (laughs) Why'd you stop at that point? I want to keep going with the previous character. Mm. He properly spaced out where I felt it was always a good transition. I was never regretting going to the next POV. Great point. So best improvement by far. Great point for it, me. And also something that uh, we there's been one book on here we really complained about. That was Arter Ben. Yeah. And one of the things that I just couldn't stand about Arter Ben was the end of part one was, this really isn't a spoiler, it's the smallest thing ever. So it, it's this reveal of this woman's name is mentioned and was involved in the guy's past. And it was like this big drop, like drop the name. I forget what the name was. I was like, whoa. End of part one mentioned a woman's name. We haven't heard before. Like this was someone in this past. (laughs) Cut the scene, go to part two. Like it was this epic end of the part one. Yeah. Whereas something I appreciate so much more with dark age. And I guess all Pierce Brown's novels were each part segmented and it's it's a contained story almost, just like Stormlight is, and where it ends on an important moment, and you can compartmentalize. And it, so, part one is Lysander Darrow, the back and forth battle on Mercury. Compartmentalize. Part two, you have a lot of the politicking happening, and the Day of Red Doves, and like, so the build up with Dancer and Virginia ends with Day of Red Doves. Part three, then you build up with I think that's more of your Obsidians uh, that that part of the plot's happening, as well as the Jackal returning. And the build-up going into part four, which is then your all is lost, last battle, last stand of Mercury, and obviously we know where it ends there. So it's each, the with the pacing slash the breaking down of this book, not only did it give less time to less important characters, more time to more important characters, but I can see the structure. Yeah. I, I can think about it and go, that's, that, that's artful. I, I like that. I completely agree. I loved, I loved how it was structured in this book. Sweet. Um, other plot moments, uh, we talked briefly about some things that just rubbed me the wrong way. The dancer one in the, um, when he was, when Darrow was saved by the fear knight, I, I think that was just a step too far of when people go like, oh, Darrow is kind of a Mary Sue. And like, it's moments like that where I'm like, eh, he has a lot of plot armor. <laughs> that was where the plot armor shone a little bit too much for me. That was my uh, one complaint about the first book in Red Rising was how Cassius stabbed him, then kind of left. I'm just, yeah. I'm like, I, if it could have been written a way that I could believe that Cassius thought he was dead or something like that, then sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a question for you, because I couldn't remember 
if this might have been if, if this was a plot issue or not or if it was a character change mm. but here's one possible negative aspect where virginia in this book uses the pandemonium chair and all the torturing stuff against the duke of hands Remember all that scene, which we even yeah. we even mentioned the Duke hands or anything. That's, oh, that was all. Awful. Yeah, geez. there's so much. There's so much. Yeah, there's so much in this book to cover. But the she tortures and she's or her and stuff. They're using this to get the information out of the Duke of hands, and that's how they get to the whole revealed mm-hmm. dancer. Correct me if I'm wrong, but in the previous book in Iron Gold, didn't Virginia destroy those scorpion, the oracles? Yeah, because she wasn't for like t- getting information out of people in a way to torture. Or so it just seemed like it would have been really damn useful if she still had those. You know what I mean? Of like she was willing to use this torture chair and erase the guy's memory and do all these things. But then in the previous book, she destroyed the oracles. So I didn't know if that was a character change. I didn't. I don't know if I'm misremembering what happened. I think Virginia sees them differently. The scorpions things they basically cause just excruciating pain, like the most pain you could feel. It's basically just a pain. Version of torture doesn't it kill where, you if you lie? Yeah, well? basically. Okay. Where this one, I think the way that she justifies the the pandemonium chairs twisted, we're basically we're resetting your memory, and in <laughs> many ways, like we're killing you, but you get to live. Like <laughs> your memories are gone. We can we're changing your it's personality. Still pretty awful. And it's to be fair, Duke Hands isn't a good guy, so it's not like we no. <laughs> so, but that's the difference. It's the difference of like pure physical pain versus like mental torture i I guess virginia sees it as better like hey look i don't have to kill the duke of hands i just basically wipe his memory and now he could live a different life i don't have to kill him i either kill him or i wipe his mind (laughs) and she chose wiping the mind so yeah is that one worse? I, was just, I was curious if like there, I missed something with a character, or I was misunderstanding something, or I think it's mostly yeah. just like the physical pain torture okay. and the effectiveness of that, and just like got it, especially like someone you don't know is actually guilty or not, and yeah. you're just prodding them with pain. L- let me bring up this the, the pandemonium yeah. chair. Like you actually just read their memories, okay, which is, I guess, less painful but more invasive. Fair enough. It's a small point, regardless. Yeah. I'll bring up this because there's so many plot points to bring up. People would yell at us if we didn't mention the Ephraim Mop scene. Ephraim Mop scene? Ephraim Mop. Are you remembering? Mop scene. Where he Remind comes me. down like it's a whole badass thing for Ephraim and he's coming Oh, down, and yeah, that was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was great. It was really well written. <laughs> that was so well written. I loved that moment. <laughs> That was such. A... That made me love Ephraim way more. <laughs> oh, 100%. Oh, I just loved it. Just what high on drugs, going down, badass scene. Somehow he survives. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> it was great. It was great. That was pretty great. I loved that. <laughs> and how about Lysander um, coming into s- disguising himself as someone else to get into Darrow's circle and g- getting inside? That whole portion where Lysander was the only one. I like how it was built up that he could lie. We knew he could lie against the oracles and everything. So he was the only person to kind of do that espionage job yeah. to get in. So that was interesting as well. I also liked how Darrow ultimately just didn't fucking buy it. Like ultimately went. He didn't know it was Lysander, but didn't he, know it was Lysander, he was confident like, enough to go like, this is fishy. But yeah, like if it wasn't for the that uh, builder trader mm-hmm. guy... 
If it wasn't for him, yeah, Daryl wouldn't have bought it and just probably would have locked him in a cell. And his whole plan would have, like, failed. Yeah. Without that other guy in there, fails. It fails. Mm. And the fact that that guy had as much sway, we're like, hey, I won't do your work unless you give me uh, this pr- this prisoner guy. And Daryl's kind of like, I can't say no to you. You literally, I need you. You have me by the balls. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I liked it. Daryl wasn't no dummy. He right. at least noticed, like, hey, this gold is supposed to be not trained. How did he survive when several howl- howlers died in that car chase? And how he break? Like, it was fishy. It's fishy. Don't buy it. But yeah, you like when you have a competent character. I appreciated yeah. a competent character of like everything Darrow did was correct in in the in the moment. He was correct in the moment. Plot wise, what did you think of the end of the book and going into Lightbringer? Like, how how hyped are you? I'm hyped. I will say. Cassius coming in was a bit much of like it's not a complete Deus Ex Machina, but it's a little bit like I don't know. I, okay, it, it here's here's where I'll counter you on this. I felt it, it just the fact that there was also another one pre where Darrow is you know back was, against the wall that's saved by the um, yeah uh, Morning Star and. Coming in saved by Cassius, just kind. I I eh. get it. I get it. The reason Cassius works so well for me, okay, is you have that Lord of the Rings Helm's Deep moment where you know Gandalf says he'll be there in X days. That well, how many days was it? The, the third, the fourth, or whatever. I'm third I'm not day. a fan. <laughs> I'm a fake fan. But on the third day or whatever, and Gandalf ends up coming, and it, because you it makes you forget about it. You forget about it, and you're involved in the battle. Then you go, that's right. Gandalf's coming. I'll be right. honest. I don't even remember Cassius being mentioned before that. Well, he, here's why his name wasn't mentioned. We didn't know he was alive. So it was Daxo or Cavax, one of the two, basically saying, I'm going to call up the the guy. Or There was that scene where he said, oh, he's sending I'm going to I'm gonna send the person to get Darrow or something like that. I, I've got a plan, Mustang. Don't worry. I've got a plan for him. I'm sending somebody. So it was the, oh, okay. I'm sending somebody. I'm like, wait a second who's he sending and then you start to think i completely forgot about that when the battle was happening and then boom, mm. that person was cassius so if that wasn't mentioned before if there was no mention of someone's being sent it would feel so cheap because there are those deus ex machina moments where end of a book something just happens and you go oh what where, where did that i don't think come I, from? I don't think i particularly remember that moment where Cavex was said i'm sending someone right. i don't think i remember that one Okay, that take line. my word for it. It does happen. Fair enough. It, it was yeah. either Daxo or Cavax was one of them or something like that. So, so when I read that, I was like, I didn't know that there was a setup. It was like, okay, hey, hey, Cassius, what you doing here? Uh, nice to meet you. Uh, I guess you're Again. not dead. <laughs> I'm super excited for that relationship to see what happens between Cassius and I am too, especially with book. the absence mm-hmm. of uh, Severo. Mm-hmm. Cassius, I think it is going to be very interesting. Like he's right. competent, a little bit too idyllic, but maybe his brush with death has tempered him a bit more, maybe <sighs> made it worse. In many ways, Cassius is a quote unquote better person than Darrow of the decision making he's made in a lot of shit. Also, he hasn't had to make the decisions Darrow's had to have because True. he's a gold. But when you look at what he's done, he's not an evil person. 
I mean, the, 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 yeah. it would have been successful if it wasn't for Cassius, but he's done some questionable things. He's been on the wrong side with the Sovereign, but he's very rootable. Sure. I, all the stuff he's did with Lysandra was good. and Trying to lead him the right way. you know. Yeah, uh, ultimately failing, but yeah. he was seemed to be doing his best and like actually tried to show him the right way. I, I don't think Cassius was right. particularly wrong. Maybe he's a little naive. But just like you, Rich, your best isn't good enough. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> you know what? I insult you frequently, but they're surface level. You you come in with the knife <laughs> under the, like, right between the rib cage. I could go surface level and talk about your baldness again. We, we could do, yeah. I got different angles. You different got different angles. angles. <laughs> Depends how I'm feeling. Yeah. <laughs> All right, plot-wise, anything else to mention other than... I'll say I gave it a 9, 10, I think it's excellent. One reason it's not a 10 for me, or any higher, is I wasn't super invested in, like, the conflict slash politicking with the Obsidians. Yeah. there was a, That took a lot of page time. I was, like, Ephraim great following Ephraim and seeing Pax and so forth, but Xenophon and Sephi, and it was interesting. I'm curious to see what the Ascomani and the Ragnar's dad with the bold text. Mm-hmm. That's a good element to see what happens with Volk in the next book. But a lot of like who was betraying and this and that wasn't super compelling. I was just like, okay, we're back to the uh, okay, yeah, all right. Did you have the same feeling, or did you were you invested in that obsidian I, politicking? I was not. Gotcha. I wasn't invested really much in the character. I thought Ephraim was int- more interesting. The dialogue was more funny. I enjoyed him a right. lot more. However, I think that Obsidian thing really got something. I, I think that we're going to see it in future books. Is That may be Pierce Brown's solution to the um, to this whole... To the, the conflict between the colors... Mm. Possibly, um, Sefi has the right idea. Maybe each color has their own like home planet, and yeah, there's intermingling. But the Republic is mainly made up of like their own home planet, so they have their own kind of home strength, and can that guarantees that they'll be fair to their own color at the very bare minimum. Only problem is the golds and so forth would just. But eventually, it, well, the golds are powerful, but why are they powerful? They're powerful because they can basically throw slave labor at something. There's only so much the golds can do if they don't have the labor of the other colors. I, and I so, think, at, if each color had their own yeah. planet and their own kind of military strength, and that would be at least a check on that kind of system. But here's what I mean. Imagine telling the golds who own the entire solar system, you have now have one planet and you don't have these slaves. Just don't attack anybody. <laughs> like, like You can't just kind of put chains on somebody that's like, all right, we're on this planet. Why not? Con-? The conquest will happen yeah. eventually. It's not like we can all just, you know, divvy up lines. It's Yeah, it's- I, I know that. Like, There's fundamental problems with that where you really do need the... You need the uh, Romulus mentality. Well, WMDs. Very much. The the reason in the real world why, you know, the Soviet Union and U.S. didn't bomb each other to pieces is that we know we're also going to die. The, the golds need to also be threatened enough by maybe the obsidians. There can't just be one yeah. hegemonic culture slash race slash anything or else they have no one to stop them. So yeah. the U.S. and Soviet Union, there was relative peace like is the wrong word maybe but there's this cold war not actual 
uh, like we didn't ever face each other because there's a threat that the world will end, that we'll yeah. also die. Well, well so, that's kind of the idea of like, I. this is just my prediction going forward of what it will end up being by the end of Red God, is there will be a, a new type of republic where basically eat, there will be a home planet for each color and they have their own things and they come together as a republic yeah. and their own representatives. And basically the ultimate agreement of if one color steps yeah, out yeah. of line, all the others basically attack. So if the obsidians ever <laughs> step out of line, golds with everyone else pounce. Right. If the reds ever like start going on basically, rampage, are you making a a, a NATO? Yes, I think that's ultimately <laughs> it. I, I thought you were going to direct basically of every NATO, planet. but with Russia <laughs> in it as well. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's Russia genius. <laughs> Everyone is like new NATO, but everyone is a Russia. This could work. I, I thought you were going in the direction of every planet. Everyone owns nukes faced at another planet, so it's a chain reaction of if you kill you, I kill you, which kills you, which kills me. No, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I have a feeling that that may be the direction we're going. Maybe there'll be Maybe. like one planet which is kind of like our DC in the United States, where it's not any state; it's its own federal thing so there'd be like maybe the moon will stay you know collectively owned or whatever mm. that's my prediction of how the society will be changed i'm i don't know where this is going to end i really don't and yeah. i think the most and two most anticipated things for our channel for i guess a lot of booktube as well will be one stormlight five mm -hmm. and also the next red rising book the red red god those will be huge. Uh, those are the things I'm most invested in. Yeah. And after this, by the way, a little sneak peek if you're still listening to this episode. Um, after we cover, we're, we're still doing wheel time and all that, of course. After we cover Red Rising, the next one is going to be First Law. First Law. First Law is next. We're yes. going to be doing, and we're going to cover each of those. It's going to be great. So we're we're always going to do kind of solo books, like your Piranesi's will review, and we'll mm -hmm. toss out stuff like that. But we'll always have a series going as well. And yeah. the next one, because we're, and we're nearing the end of this time. But you know what we're not nearing the end of? This episode. Because we're going into dialogue slash prose. What'd you give that out of I, 10? I gave it a 7.5. The okay. highest out of the Red <clears throat> Rising scores I've given. That makes sense. I gave it a 9.6. And we won't rehash our dialogue debates that we have every single time. Ultimately, um, we're going to disagree. We're just, we're just going to disagree. But My, I really liked it. I gave it so high. And I thought... This is some of the... Okay, let me break this down of why I loved it so much. Because you gave it a seven. You thought it was fine, right? You thought it was good. That's not fine. It's good. really good. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, 7.5. A couple a couple things I want to break down for this dialogue and prose. And of course, I'll let Kyle speak for himself. Mm -hmm. The first thing is something that... Besides all the battle scenes and how descriptive they were and guttural, and I thought so well written, so visual... The descriptions of people, if I can just give an example or two of just the little description he gives of these side characters, to me, were just very clear. He uses the right words. He uses that, remember the whole thing with Sanderson, that abstract, the concrete? He does that perfectly. Mm -hmm. So, for example, this is one paragraph. He says, Imperator Cadus Harness, Harnassus, the Terran hero of old Tokyo, meets me on the sand-strewn tarmac. He's a geode of a man, slump-shouldered, slow-walking, with umber skin and a bulbous drinker's nose set in a face that looks increasingly like an angry puppy's the deeper he plunges into his 50s. 
just the, the right words and analogy that he uses to describe harnesses. That's the only paragraph where he describes the man and boom, got it. I know who that man is. Or another descriptive sentence here with Kellandora. This is when Kellandora was introduced. Her lips, though riven by two scars, are full and seem only capable of whispers. Her nose is small and sharp, but her defining characteristic is her eyes. Every gradient of gold that exists spirals toward the pit of her pupils, paling in hue as they approach that darkness, so it seems as if one states at an eclipse. Stares at an eclipse. Again, Wow, that to me is a compelling description. And last one, this is super quick. Um, Senator Britannia I. Craig has period... <laughs> Bless you. It's Sorry. so good you had to sneeze. <laughs> Senator Britannia I. Craig has period marks for eyes and a widow's peak that could chip ice for my nightly bourbon. Just all these analogies that are used, all the descriptions of people's eyes, I love them. I love them. And that's just the description portions of these characters. And then going on to something where... Do you mind if I still rattle on some, Go ahead. some exciting stuff? So this is just some descriptors from the prologue because I was trying to look through and like, hey, where's some good lines? Here's, here's in just the prologue of the book. Mm-hmm. The frame rate of the world stutters. Just a nice little, ooh, I like that. Or kaleidoscope carnage unfolds before us. Oh, I like that line. Just, it's really nice. And here's some one-liners. I'm going to go through some, some cool one-liners here. We've got, uh, let me scroll down. Here they are. You've asked, you asked, what do I fear? I fear a man who believes in good, for he can excuse any evil. Ooh. That is, and to be fair, that is a, uh, that's a classic line of history. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but when I, Pierce not, says it. <laughs> it's, it's hard for me to give Pierce Brown credit for that, of there's a lot. At, yeah, good line. Good line. But I can't give, can't like, give him the credit for that. It's one. not like, ah, oh, that's an original Pierce Brown. All right, how about no. this one then? <laughs> They've always gotten what they want from me because it was cheaper to agree with them than to teach them. Oh, hey. Uh. Okay. Or how about this one? Uh, in the age of... Oh, I like this. As a lot. This was in the final battle. Mm-hmm. In an age of starships, you forget what animals can do to men. Just, oh, oh you're right. Good. That's pretty nice. Yeah. Or like the reaper may go through you, but the goblin stays for seven courses. Oh, ah, okay. So <laughs> a lot of these and there's more that I've listed. I'll stop. Yeah. No, Pierce Brent actually... Being very self-aware, when they, when I think he was asked our Q and A of like, what do you do best? And he said like the one-liners. Like that's, and I have to agree. The best part about his, um, about his writing is he makes some banger one-liners. <laughs> like there's, there's some nuggets in there where like, ooh, just, mm. like the whole idea, just the word of like an the Iron Rain. Is such a good name for it. Like, he got the names down. He does have the names Like, down. there's some good, bloody damn good yeah. one-liners and, like, single two-word description things. He does that great. And the classic in Red Rising of, like, do they, you, the, the gravity on Mars is not the same as Earth. You have to pull the feet to break the neck. They let the loved ones do it. Clo- yeah. Close enough, but not the actual quote. Yeah. I'm going to be selfish to say one more that I really liked. And this isn't that it was beautifully. Is this, is this the one of let fall the rain? Not that one. No. That's another That's good. This is just something interesting <laughs> that should probably be said more in books that I never really thought of. Mm. Uh, where this is as the golds are, Darrow's fighting against the golds in this last stand and he's watching some of his soldiers get slaughtered. He says, 
I see one of my greys hit a gold thrown from his horse full on in the back of it. I read that wrong, sorry. On in the back of the head with his rifle, only for the gold to wheel around and with a single punch break the neck of a man who survived 10 years of war. Just to show the power difference between a gold and a red, or a gray in this case, of yeah. this guy survived 10 years and boom, like that, dead. Just something that should be acknowledged of these people have survived so long and boom, it's over. Yeah. And now, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. Kyle would like to say a few words here. Okay. Um, now, I'm going to give you the choice. I think I'll allow it. There, there's, are you ready? So there's, you get to choose. There's three scenes here. I'll let you choose okay. which one we listen to first, okay? Mm-hmm. The motherfucking consequences one. Remember that one? From, yeah. Um, Darrow killing people or Daxo killing people on the day of Red Doves? Which one would you like to listen to first? I want number one. You want the consequences. Let's open door number one. Oh, and here we go. <laughs> Kyle, take it away. And this is just to build up the scene. This is Darrow uh, from Atlanta. This is the very beginning of the book where Atlantia is... Did, oh, shoot. I'm already forgetting the, uh, the context of it. Remember he was saying, here's the consequences of Lantia for, um, oh my goodness, I need, I need help. Phone a friend. Are we on the wrong show now? What? That's, that's the wrong show. That's not Prices Right. Damn it. <laughs> All right. So just play the line. Just, just play the line. <laughs> Here you go. Atlantia thought she could steal my Imperator. Oh, that that her it. fear knight could keep my friend as a toy for torture. That I would simply run back to Leuna and let my men die. That she could steal my son. And there would be no consequences. Well, here I am, you deviant bitch. Here I bloody am. The motherfucking consequences. Kyle's voice makes it so much. <laughs> it just brings it to life. Yeah. And so that that whole passage gave it the context that we needed. Yes. But that... Ugh, I, he does really good with those one line and that whole thing that he read off it's line 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 written like that in the pacing it's not a whole paragraph I love yeah. how Pierce breaks that down as well well he does Pierce Brown does a great job of using not poetry but poetic rhythm in his dialogue he yes. talked about that in our the Q&A that he had and he's he is really good at it when to have a really long explanation and then as it gets shorter and shorter sentences yeah. when they're kind of more heart racing moments the Those, pacing increases yeah. yeah he does that extremely well and i'll let you because i i love the dialogue and prose of course do you want to say anything that did you did you love anything about it did you not like something as much or you i generally really liked it okay like, so i'll just keep on raving about it and then yeah <laughs> i'll be honest in the previous books, I think at the very least in the first Red Rising and in Morningstar, mm-hmm. there was some like, eh, just some kind of cringy stuff where it's like it just doesn't land as well for me. Morningstar, I'll agree more. So, but but Red in this I book, I thought it was really well done. I, I was nothing really took me out of the book. Right. So I, I can I I can say this as well, at least from everything I've read so far, the action in this book in particular. And the battle sequences is some of the most... Maybe there's different ways to write battle sequences, of course. Mm-hmm. So Sanderson does it one way. Emma Wayne does it another, so forth. It's the most visceral in like a really gritty and awesome way to read. It's yeah. the most gritty, but also descriptive at the same time. And it being in the present tense makes it that much more so. It's some of the best action. I love it. I love the way it's described. I was actually talking with our patron member, Foxy. Hello, patron member Foxy. <laughs> we were talking about how she read the Red Rising 
uh, mm. book, and then went on to First Law. Yeah. And got a little taste of Joe Abercrombie's uh-huh. action. Just gotta say, uh, she preferred one over the other. She, uh, uh, she so liked a little bit more of... She understood the genius of Joe Abercrombie. Now, I have not... I can't wait. I have read. not read Joe yet, but mm-hmm. it was nice on you, Foxy. Patron, that's goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Kicking you off the platform. <laughs> I can't wait. I, I probably reads. will love Joe Abercrombie, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah? The, the action in particular is just visceral. Just don't hate me when done. I give every book a 10, okay? That that is the here's the thing. You're eventually gonna you're gonna read enough to the point where like you're gonna have to have start. To you're gonna have to start lowering them eventually. We'll see. We'll see. Like yeah. fifty books more, and you're gonna be like, okay, not everything could be a ten. <laughs> I have one ten, okay. <laughs> I have one, and it's Golden Sun. <laughs> okay, this next one is the scene where Daxo mm-hmm. during the Day of Red Doves is protecting Virginia, and he's doing whatever he can to destroy this mob that's coming after her. You ready for the scene? Oh, yeah. Kyle, take it away. He kicks a brown woman in the chest. Her sternum collapses and a bulge from his foot pushes out her back. The last, a young red man with piercings through the bridge of his nose, stabs at Daxo. Daxo catches the blade in his left hand. It sinks into the palm, but bends against the reinforced bone. As Daxo pushes back till the man's straightened arm snaps like a twig. Daxo embeds the scepter in the man's chest and grabs the man's other hand. He pulls on both arms, lifting the man in the air so that he is eye to eye with Daxo, his feet kicking half a meter from the ground. With a roar, Daxo pulls off both the man's arms. The body drops to the floor, spitting blood. Daxo rips the scepter out of the man, pulling his ribs with it, and beats his own bloody chest with gore-spattered hands. Lionheart! He spins the scepter, pointing it at the crowd. Dogs! Traitors! In the name of your sovereign, disarm! Disarm! The mob behind the massacred men skids to a halt, terrified of the gold monstrosity. All their lives they've known of gold power, but war is fast and smoky and small through a screen. They always suspected the myth of our violence overwrought. Now they see what our manners have protected them from. The courage in their numbers withers at the terrible sight of this machine of war, unlocked from his civil chains. But the mob is a machine as well, and its engine of courage comes from those in the rear. They push forward, screaming and shouting, and firing over the heads of those terrified in the front. And the press breaks forward, dozens amongst them falling to be trampled by the right of the distant brave. The mob hits more like mud than water. Seeping around Daxo, fighting to run away, heels skidding over bloody stone. My razor carves through the outstretched arm of a young man holding a scorcher, through the face of a fat woman with a rock, the neck of a screaming, terrified teenager with a mouth blue from cloud candy. Bodies push me back, and I chop madly, blindly at arms. They seep through. And then, you know, eventually our guy Daxo dies. Yeah. But the different things used there where he does the shows and tells and weaves them in perfectly first off the description of i could see so clearly daxo killing that man i thought i was dying to daxo (laughs) it's so visual and those really clear and understandable and 
the, the line you hear, like the, the courage coming from the rear, the ones that yeah. haven't seen the, the, the grace they gave them by being held in the civil chains of the, the civil chains that were taken off of them. I, I don't know All about of those, you. Yeah. Little bit of that. Like I saw a little bit of that old gold exactly. mentality in Virginia. Like, yeah. Virginia's a good character. She's a good, good person overall, has good ideals. But ultimately, deep down, she grew up in, like, she knows. These fools. She knows her place oh. on the pecking order. Oh. And a little bit of that of, like, so, I don't know. I, I You see a little bit of yeah. that gold upbringing. You do. And that's what makes the description so powerful as well as that. Hey, you see it because Virginia's about to die. Mm-hmm. was what she's thinking and these these colors they don't understand what I'm trying to do for them she has that little bit of moment of just <sighs> it's, so it's well so well described and this last one from Kyle because we have to play all the clips from Kyle these are, of these course. are incredible this last one is Darrow in the last stand battle slaughtering people just him fighting Darrow fighting take it away Kyle I'm Several. noticing a I'm noticing a little bit of a follow through through most of these clips, a little bit of a through line. <laughs> See, you notice that? It's a lot of killing. <laughs> a lot of killing. And here you go, Daryl and Kyle. Several tons of stone make wet boneless sacks of men. The teams on the left stop pulling, suddenly appalled by the sight of pulverized men and the bath of gore it entails. It is nothing to me. I unravel myself and stand in the dead, heavy armor. That they are not the same mob that butchered Daxo and mutilated my wife does not matter. I kill them all. The brown street cleaner rushes for me with a piece of rebar. My punch is slowed by the weight of my unpowered armor, but not by much. And I am still the war god Mickey Carb using his infernal devices. I need no razor for this mindless trick. Whew. This man is tiny. Oh. My metal fist collapses the side of his skull and oh. shatters vertebrae. I lift the silver who kicked my groin by his throat and squeeze until I feel spine. I shatter a man's femur with a stomp and collapse his sternum into his heart as I march over him to break a woman's jaw. Rib cages crackle under armored boots like twigs as I tread through them in systematic slaughter. As a mob, they were a single organism. In fear, they divide. In death, they become lonely as I weave them into my twitching meat carpet. Wow. Wow. And that, and just something like that is just perfectly described and gritty and guttural and beautiful. I mean, it's ugly and like deathly and and so beautifully written. Uh, my twitching meat carpet. That's what I think about you, Rich, when we're on this podcast. Just, I put my chest through his sternum and it cracked into his ribcage and, and then I hit a woman. Wait, that's, that's, that's Wait, that didn't happen. No, 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 no. Clip that. No, no. Clip it. <laughs> but you see how just, it's just... Mm. Yeah, it gets the testosterone to boil it. It's basically gladiator in space. Gladiator in space. This is sick. We're we're gonna be reading a romance novel next. Yeah, we will. Akatar. We're gonna be we are gonna be critiquing the sex scenes. <laughs> and actually we're not joking. We're gonna read a romance and we're going to yeah. an erotic fantasy. It's gonna be wonderful. Yep. Gonna go outside our comfort zone. <laughs> and then you have to ask yourself a question of why did Austin rate the Dark Age 
just guttural thing a 9.6 in dialogue and the romance a 10 <laughs> it's, you're gonna have to ask that question to yourself and i'll, I'll explain properly yeah don't worry <laughs> so that's all i have for the dialogue and prose other than i i genuinely want to say that this this prose is otherworldly <laughs> because you get it with the it's, I disagree with you there, but I really enjoy it. All right, that's, that's fair enough. We'll get into world building and magic. Yeah. It's really just world building. Ready for this? What'd you give it? A 9.3. What'd you give it? I gave it an 8. Great. I had a 10. So you loved it. Significant improvement over Amazing. the previous book. Amazing. So why? So high would you love about it? Let's see. Oh, I love all the stuff on Mercury. Mercury is great little details on their showing about the city. Uh, I like you get inklings of how it was before the rising and during the rising kind of left alone. I, I enjoy all the, the different colors uh, actually have far more importance. So we have more characters that are of different colors that aren't just gold and they actually have weight and importance where before you kind of got, I, I it kind of was a gold party and like it's golds and then there's reds. There wasn't really anything in between. Like, you got Orion, and there wasn't much between. Obsidians. Kind of. But I don't know. It just, I felt like they're, they're one, I wanted more. I wanted more of, like, the other colors showing their importance and mm-hmm. why they're there. So, of course, we got, I'm enjoying Ephraim now again. So, like, if Ephraim, the Well, there's no the more gray, enjoying the next book. He's dead. Yeah. <laughs> so. But we're going to get an improvement with Volk. It's fine. But no, we had the, How pissed will you be if there's no Volk chapters? Livid. It'll be a zero out of ten book. Zero. It's you understand it will be a like a dud of a book. <laughs> if if I don't get a single Volga POV in Lightbringer, I'm calling it here. I'm giving the book a zero out of ten. I'm gonna hold you to that. It's a zero out of ten. If I don't get a single one, like that's my That's your line. That's my line. Of it even without it, like I'll be like, okay, and factual, like, okay, I'll give it like the an eight point five or whatever it is. But then like in if by the end of the book, there's no Volga POV. It's over. That that I I have to resist on principle, and it will be my lowest rated book ever. You got to stand with your girl. Volga. I, I got to stand. Yep. But understandable. I, I respect it. <laughs> It'll be such an interesting review of you saying zero out of ten, but then saying things you liked about the book. Yeah. I can't wait to hear that. <laughs> so you love what they did with Mercury. You love what Pierce Brown did with Mercury. I love the uh, engineers. Uh, what. What was his name? He was on Mer- um, Gilstreet. Gilstreet. I like that. The, or Harness. Harness. I liked him. Harnesses. 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 I think uh, I talked about. Get terrible with names. <laughs> anyway, I liked him. Whichever one of them. Yeah. <laughs> so I liked him. I liked far more about the politics and nature of the Republic was far more interesting. Um, you have more stuff with the cloning. And so I'm enjoying almost all of it. I, I even really like the the politicking between the outer rim and the society and the society's yeah. politicking. That was great. Yeah. So I enjoyed all that. Yeah. Lovely. I, I think the only negative on world building for me, mm-hmm. literally the only one, because then I'll go into things I love because I have to mention this. Uh, it comes down to the obsidians again. There was a through line with the obsidians that I just wasn't completely, because, you know, when I was going to their point of views, I get the culture and everything i just wasn't wowed or going super um what's the word i got decided yeah i guess i wasn't excited and i can't pinpoint why i just didn't connect sure so sometimes things just don't like that but as far as the things i loved mercury couldn't agree with more with you 
there were a lot. I have a list of way too many things on here of just things. I put in bold the things that I really liked. So I'll mm-hmm. say some of those. Uh, like one, for example, we have to mention the Storm God as a world building factor and yeah. how the, what the Storm got the plot element there. It was kept there purposely by Octavia. And so you see how people in the past, like the last sovereign, the last government, impacts the world today and how she had this foul safe in case mm-hmm. Mercury rebelled or anything. It completely makes sense with the sovereign's character. And the storm gods and how they were described and how they terraformed planets, we get to see that. And it was also wonderful for the characters as well. Exactly. How Darrow and Lysander see it. Yep. And I loved disliking. Lysander's point of view on that and where Lysander looks like how dare Darrow use the storm god as a machine of war I, how, the yep. fact that he would even consider that and I'm like what do you what the fuck do you mean you you guys are putting people on pikes like slaughtering the innocents anyone who tries to surrender like, what the hell you think like that mentality was like, it's. I completely understand it. Like he has this ideal. He idealizes the golds and like this. The storm guy is a symbol of creation. He's going to turn that into war. It's like, uh, come on, buddy. Right. <laughs> so I loved that. Yes, I loved that perspective. From uh, it shows how fundamentally wrong his pe- his position is. It, the world building in this book enhanced the plot so much mm-hmm. but with the storm god and another aspect of it where we found out a small thing like this. There, there were a lot of small one-liners that kind of... The book is dense, so there's a lot in there of like the board of quality control created the veil, that kind of religious thing in the past, that their heaven and so forth, to provide an important sociological prerequisite for obedience of how the, they kind of science belief and they it's a very it's an advanced society but the difference with red rising compared to your other Mm sci-fis i would say this is more similar to the martian than it is to something like hyperion and i just mean that where the martian is more near future sci-fi hyperion's like way far out sci-fi where the technology used in red rising is more okay it's solar system we're not talking galactic Star Trek, Star Wars, into, you know what I mean? So I get your point. Yeah, we're yeah. talking more things that don't take a huge leap of faith to believe that all this is possible, whereas that's how you can get there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what they did with, like, for example, the Reds are the only homophobic a homophobic species. Oh, left, yeah. Which and is it so interesting. It makes so much sense because Why they, they would... were programmed that way. Yeah, like procreation was such an important part. Yep for their culture and because like so many of them are dying you want your slave population to more slaves you yeah you so, want more slaves i get it yeah and again going going down that line the obsidians something i just found an interesting line that was used and maybe there will be an explanation for this later but the obsidians i think their liver is on the their heart is on and liver on the opposite sides of their body of um, just their anatomy and the reason that Sefi, I think, says this is the case is I think they were just seeing if they could do it. Like, no other reason than they were testing, they were making things, and they were just seeing what they could do. So some there's some a demented aspect of it, of how the different, the I don't even know if you call them races, different species, the, the different colors, we'll just say. The different yeah. colors are explained, and you get a deeper world. I feel like in Dark Age as well, it encompasses so much that 
I, I, especially compared to Iron Gold, I'd say the world feels completely lived in. Like there's moving parts everywhere, and you have the a lot of the consequences of this book of seeing things like the Red Hand and how there's different offshoots in the political atmosphere around uh, that's going around. Oh, go ahead. You're the Red someone. Hand doesn't it doesn't gel as much for me. Mm. Go on, they man. they just don't make as much sense as I think they should. I don't know. Did you did you ever have that feeling of like I well, you I almost think, just think like here's the thing why there, the hell are you here like it, you don't make sense. They're so very wrong, but I, I think it makes sense, but I don't empathize with them whatsoever. Well, sure you don't empathize, but I'm just kind of like it just kind of boggles my mind of like they're so wrong. Why? Like how do you go that direction? Like they're so like in many ways they're they're worse than the society yeah. of like you at least even though the society is wrong you can at least understand their logic the red hand like they don't make any sense they're just stupid and i i just don't understand how it's still a thing what what doesn't make sense about them or just how wrong they are doesn't make sense yeah no they're just their their whole thing is like you know, they're a red terrorist group that's supposed to go against the golds and all this stuff. And they basically almost only kill reds. Like, that's their whole thing, is they oppress other reds. <laughs> what What the hell? <laughs> that's stupid. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I guess, ultimately, it's just an opportunistic terrorist organization that's using the guise of... You know, the, this whole belief to actually just oppress the little guy again. I guess that's the point, but yeah. Yeah, and they, they kind of see it in that um that the new the new republic and so forth isn't any better. And like the, the, they're not getting the changes they wanted from this revolution. And so yeah. their their line of thinking, of course it's stupid. <laughs> of course they're wrong, but the line of thinking of like, oh there we're still not we are still being oppressed. Yeah, being the pattern. The, the thing so is, so let's go kill they're, everybody. <laughs> they're oppressing their own people. Yeah. worse. <laughs> yeah, they are. They are for sure. And there, there's a lot more to get into with the world building. But something I noticed that was a step up in many ways, hmm. as well, was the descriptors of Mercury and the world and the set. The setting felt way more grounded. Did you get that ever present? Like, oh, I understand where I am. You got the visuals everywhere. You you yeah. were immersed. Well, I enjoyed with this book that we spent so much. Each character kind of had their own place, and they were there. Yeah, for the most, except for Lyria, Lyria, and I guess a bit of a, I guess a bit of Ephraim, but Ephraim, nah, for the most part, Ephraim was on, uh, Mars. Yes, for the most part. For the most part, he was there. So every character was kind of settled. And you really got yeah. to know a lot about that location. Yes. Each one. So. Yep. I think that there, I, I'll, I'll stop there before we, I talk your ear off anymore. That's, that is a successful book. We actually gushed. We Both actually of us just gushed. had a little gushing we, we had a good time, I'd say. Like, the nice thing, I, the best thing I could say about this book is I really only have nitpicks. Yeah. That's honestly it. I could see how this is someone's their favorite of the Red Rising series. I could see a, if someone came to me and asked them, what's your favorite book? And they said Dark Age. I'd be like, makes sense. Fair enough. Yeah, okay. But if someone came to me and said my favorite book's Hyperion, I'd be like, you're crazy. 
See, that's you just got to twist the knife every time. <laughs> Thing is, I I could totally see why Hyperion's one of your favorite books. I totally get it. Yeah, and Dark Age is another one of those books. How about this? If someone came to me and said, "Gosh darn it, I wake up in the morning and I think of Arter Ben every day," yeah, I'd no. send you to a psych ward. <laughs> Absolutely, a not. psych ward. Okay, there are There's certain no books. <laughs> there, there are certain books where it's like, I don't get it. Like I just don't. It's like. There are books that are fine, yeah, and it's yeah. like whatever, it, enjoyable romp. I can see how someone can like something that I don't like, mm-hmm. but like, I don't see how someone could love certain things. Like Arter Ben, I can see how someone would like it. Yeah, Fair yeah. enough, it's your cup of tea. Yeah, yeah. Who am I to say? But it being your favorite thing, you know why this is so hypocritical too. It's uh, kind of like going, hey, look, yeah. Shrek Four. You know what? There's people that really like Shrek 4. I get it. Maybe it's not the best one. And then someone's saying, like, I really like Shrek 4. Okay. Mm-hmm. But for them to go, like, no, Shrek 4 is not only the best Shrek movie, but also the best movie ever. It's like, Rich, no. that doesn't connect with me as much as Fast and Furious 27. Part two. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's my personal favorite movie. Yeah. Yeah. Talk- I mean, it's all about family. Okay. The fact that they didn't name the tenth movie "Fast Fast in Your Seatbelts" it's what a miss! What a miss! No, how could they not do that? I, I would have given, I would have bought the ticket three times if they <laughs> not named showed it up once. Fast ten fear like Fast Ten Your Seatbelts. <laughs> Be great! <laughs> it would have been great. Ah, so you would have bought three tickets and not shown up? I'm getting. Yeah, exactly. You just donated. I donate for the sake of that's a great name. Good pun. A good pun. I give a lot for a good you pun. You respect a good pun. I love puns. Yeah. Anyone who groans at a pun, I just don't respect them as a person. Like you've clearly talk your talk. Ten- yeah. you've taken the NPC juice. <laughs> like everyone groans at puns. No. Everyone secretly dip deep down. The reason why you're groaning is because you didn't think of it. You're not smart enough. You're not witty enough to come up with a very fun pun. So you groan at the intelligence and wit of others. Puns are great. I respect this take so much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel comfortable. Yeah. And I, I was going to say about the, uh, like if Art or Ben's your favorite book or something like that, yeah. or certain movies, I'm the biggest hypocrite about this. We've had so many comments of like, Austin, and you especially, how the hell is the first book of Red Rising one of your favorite books? So to be fair, I get it. If, if Arter Ben's your favorite book... To be fair, <laughs> I also don't understand how that's, Red Rising is your favorite. It's, I'm not, like, it's not my favorite. Yeah, but School you give it like nine plus. Like it ain't, it ain't even in like the eight category. Yeah, yeah. No, it's nine. This is why I'm <laughs> trying to walk back my previ- com- previous comment. If you're an Arter Ben fan out there, I'm, I, I, I support you. I don't. Let let me. Let, I'm just saying. <laughs> I actually don't. I'm lying. But I just. I said that to save my ass, so well, I can. Here's here's the thing. What what everyone's failing to account for yep, yep. is that our opinions, more mm-hmm. specifically my opinion, well, okay, are l- fat. Me in that. How much? Sure. We're we're operating. People think that we're operating in an idea of opinions relativity. and relatively. We're not. We're looking at objectivity. Whatever words coming out of my mouth 
is an objective fact on the subject matter. So Rich, when I give can we test this theory? Dark Age an 8.15, I mean that. Okay, let's test this then. Yeah. Okay. You, objective facts, correct? Object, objective facts. My opinions, Are I don't facts. have any opinions. I just have facts. Can you explain? I mean, I've been wondering this. I think this is a uh-huh. phenomenon that people don't understand yet. But explain, like, wh- where does gravity come from? Well, gravity is actually a force that has been given to us by the great god Atun. His shell is so dense that it pulls things down to it. <laughs> I don't know. Here, here's what I'm deciding now, Rich. Huh. Whether I cut midway through you saying that. Yeah. Or we keep it here and they're still listening and we say bye everybody. Bye all. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> <laughs>